All right, good morning. Welcome to Sunday School. Let me open us in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this morning, uh, for the opportunity once again to gather together to learn from one another and from your word. I pray that you would be in our midst, that you would guide our conversation and our fellowship with one another this morning uh, as we seek to understand more about the callings uh, that you lay on each one of us as we live together in community in this church and in your church throughout the world. Amen. So we are continuing our discussion of one anothering at CRPC, responsibilities and duties uh, to for how we treat one another in the context of our local church here. Um, last week we be- began to consider uh, what are some of our duties and responsibilities and opportunities with respect to how we relate to and treat our pastors. I want to dive back in where we left off, but before we do that, um, let me start by again putting our discussion in the context of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. So we started out talking about um, uh, the, the, some of the many commands that the Bible gives us, where the Lord tells us to do certain things to one another, wash the feet of one another, love one another, not pass judgment on one another, show hospitality to one another. We have all these commands to love one another to treat one another in certain ways as fellow believers within the church. And that's really ultimately where our responsibilities come from. This is a partial list that I presented in week one. Um, I think it's reasonable. In week one, we just went through the New Testament ones briefly. I thought it was reasonable to add the Ten Commandments, um, at least the last six of them. The first four are about our, our duties and responsibilities to God. The other thing uh, that I did last week when we came back, thinking about our our first week where we talked about what's the pastor's calling, what's the pastor's job, what are their responsibilities to us, um, I want to reiterate my reading of the New Testament, uh, a little bit different than how I was raised to understand churches and membership in a church, is as I look through the New Testament, what I see is a consistent pattern of the church, which Jesus established himself. He set the, set the model. He taught his apostles how he wanted to establish his church. The church is Christ's institution. And the pattern that I see is the apostles established churches as local fellowships of believers living in communion with and community with one another. And in each case, the apostles appoint specific men as elders, or overseers, or bishops, depending on uh, what translation you want to use. And those elders have responsibility to teach and govern those local churches, and to exercise authority over the members of those churches, up to and including discipline and the the extreme form of discipline of excommunication, removing people from the church uh, when necessary. And that, that authority that elders have that the Bible gives to elders over members implies to me a little bit of formal membership. Um, You don't see, I don't see in the the scriptures specific commands about what it means to join a church, Um, but I think there's an implication that if uh, the elders have authority, for example, to remove people from membership, that implies that there's a process to to be members. Um, And I've suggested that If this is right, that churches are organized, established by Christ, organized as a group of fellow believers to worship in community together, to live our lives out in Christ together, um, that in response to um, a really good question about, do these one another commands, are they different for us as members of a church? Is there some higher responsibility for the way we one another one another, uh, then the commands that are clearly 
uh, to be applied broadly to all believers. And I suggested, for me, I think it does. I think we do have more significant responsibilities to live this way, to behave this way, to treat one another this way as members of the church. One, because we've made certain formal commitments to each other by making promises, formal vows to each other. Um, But two, because this is the way Christ organizes his church. So uh, in the same way that I have a responsibility to love and care for all believers, I have some special and higher and more significant responsibilities to love and care for the members of my immediate family because the Lord established that institution as well. So that's the perspective I take uh, coming into this. And then secondly, with respect to pastors, uh, I suggested last week, uh, my perspective at least, that we each have a calling, several callings, uh, roles to fill. One of those, for, for many of us, is a vocation, a particular vocation or profession. Uh, mine is to be a soldier in the U.S. Army, um, and there are some things that go along with that calling for me that the Lord has placed on me. At the same time, Christ calls, God calls some men to be professional, vocational pastors. And he gives them to, them to us as a gift. For our good. So in our first week when we looked through uh, the scriptures and we looked at what are the things that are clear in scripture that pastors are supposed to do, there were two that, uh, that seemed to stand out to everybody. They're responsible to teach sound doctrine, including correcting, rebuking, exhorting, and reminding us about the truths from the scripture. They're to be stewards of the gospel. That is, again, to correct error to teach things that are true and right and not things that are not true and false, and that they're to model exemplary Christian living. They're to be models for us of living for Christ and in a Christ-like way. So that's sort of where I'm coming from as we go into this discussion of what are our duties and responsibilities to our pastors. It suggests to me that if Christ gave us these men, called them to devote their lives to teaching and modeling Christian living for our good, to ministering for us, that that implies that we are in a relationship with them and we ought to hold up our end of the relationship as well. So that's where I'm coming from uh, as as we go through this. I want to also point out, um, with all of these things, I lost my mic, sorry. With all, perhaps not all, but many of these, we can, and historically within the church, have the church, I don't, I'm not saying necessarily this church, the church, big, big C church, we can and have misinterpreted these, twisted them to mean something that they don't, because we're sinful and stuff up. We can go all the way back to the garden and, and, and our Lord's first command to Adam and Eve, which is what? It has to do with a tree. Louder. Don't eat the fruit of the tree. And when the serpent comes and, and comes to Eve and says, what did, you, what did God tell you? What does Eve say? He said, don't, she says, oh, God told us don't eat it or touch it. Is she sinning in that? I'm not sure, but she's already starting to change what God said. We do this historically. We can do it with, I confess your sins to one another. Yes, I should confess my sins to other believers. That doesn't mean I should always walk into every situa- circumstance with every other believer and confess my sin. All the sins that I can think of. Y'all wouldn't be able to get to worship. We can twist these in ways that that we shouldn't, that we oughtn't. And churches have done that and and Christians have done it, uh, sometimes with good intentions, some with bad. So as we talk about these principles for how we should should, uh, relate to one another and how we should relate to our pastors, I want to recognize that 
any of these things. These are my categorizations of some patterns that I saw because I, I thought it was more useful to think of these in kind of groupings than just to, to go through a bunch of scriptures uh, and try and make sense of it all. Churches can mess these up. Christians can mess these up. We talked last week about paying pastors. You can think of examples where churches and pastors have taken this to sinful extremes. There's the guy I was reading about uh, last week, the guy, some pastor somewhere who said he needed another, he already had one private jet and he needed another one. And so he went to his, his congregation and said, I need you to, to give me another, whatever it was, $5 million, $10 million. I don't know how much a private jet is. Some of you know, you can tell me later. Uh, that's taking a principle that's good, pay them, and twisting it sinfully. We could do the same with any of these. I don't know, it'd be hard to twist pray for them into a sinful. I'm not sure how to do that. But we started talking about respecting them. I want to continue doing that today, but I want to start it with, with a caution that we not take the good principle from the Scripture. The Scripture we looked at last week in First Thessalonians said to esteem those who are working for us in the church. And I said, what does it mean to esteem, esteem our pastors? And we started to discuss that last week. Let's not take that good principle, as some churches have, and push it beyond what we're called to, to suggest we shouldn't call out sin. We should never cover up sin. To suggest that I, my, some of you met my in-laws were here a couple weeks ago. Um, their church had a big thing. They had to fire their pastor a few years ago uh, over, um, uh, he, he wasn't abusing anybody, but he had developed this um, perspective that he was the pastor and that meant everybody had to believe everything he said, including uh, every time he filed expense reports with things that looked questionable, uh, that he shouldn't have to turn his, in his receipts, and he shouldn't have to answer anybody because anybody in the church about getting reimbursed because if he said it was a reasonable expense, everybody had to believe him. Well, that's silly because we're sinful and we, we tend to abuse uh, the authority when we're in it. So uh, I want us to bear that in mind as we go through and talk about these principles, that the principles, I think, are good and biblical and right, but we also have to use some wisdom about where are the boundaries of where good and right principles can be, be twisted into abuse and sin. And those things we should always stand against. We know from uh, Ephesians 5.11, we should have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of the darkness, but rather expose them. So when I say I think we should guard our pastor's reputations, not at all costs. We shouldn't guard their reputations when they are, when they are involved in the unfruitful works of darkness. But we should, I think, recognize that Christ has given us pastors. That puts them on a bit of a pedestal as representatives of our church, as leaders of our church in a public position... And so the world and the devil will go after them. And when it does, I think part of our responsibility as members is to stand by them. And I will show you where I think that is in Scripture. Uh, so, uh, a, a long ca caveat, but I think an important one, uh, to, because we should recognize and be honest with ourselves that churches have messed this up. That in the name of respecting pastors, in the name of trying to guard their reputation, churches have sinfully covered up abuse uh, and allowed it to continue of members, uh, and that ought never to be within any church. So let's be clear about that. But um, we talked about paying them. That one was relatively easy. We started with this first from 1 Thessalonians. What, I, what I'm hoping to do this week is to uh, continue through all of these, so I'm going to go fairly quickly to try and do that. Um, but I do want to stop and discuss some of these and what we think they mean and consider together, are there challenges in here uh, for us? I mentioned also last week a lot of uh, 
where my material comes from is this little booklet, The Duties of Church Members to Their Pastors and a Plea to Pray for Pastors. We're all out, uh, but Blesser Dottie ordered a bunch more this week, so we should have some more back on the uh, ministry table by next week because uh, there were a few people who asked about it. So again, this verse from First Thessalonians said that we should uh, esteem them. Let's continue. Let's turn to First Timothy. Let me also mention there was, I ended with uh, a fairly long quote last week uh, that a couple people had questions about, probably because in part because I went through it too quickly. I have that printed out. I'll provide you the whole thing. Uh, if we have time to talk about it, we will. But if not, I'll, I'll give it to you uh, so that you can consider it on your own, what it does say and what it doesn't say. So 1 Timothy 5, in verse 17, we already read verse 18 before. Verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Well, that seems pretty clear. Those who labor in preaching and teaching, those are our pastors for sure. It says they should be worthy of double honor. And then the next verse talks about paying them. Verse 19 says, do not admit a charge against an elder. Now, this is, I think, including all elders, ruling and teaching elders. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, what does that mean in a practical way? To consider our pastors worthy of double honor. The charge one is fairly straightforward. Do not admit a charge except on good evidence, I think. Uh, How do we do this if we're called to give them double honor? So you said financial remuneration and the honor of the position, so respecting the position of pastor. Somebody in the back. Was it Courtney? Michael? Um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, if you follow Matthew 18, it talks about, you know, the first step is one-on-one. Talk to that person about their sin or misstep or something. Uh, here it's saying don't admit the charge. It almost seems like at first it might skip that first step of talk to them personally one-on-one. I don't think it's saying that. I think it's saying do not admit a charge. Um, But I think when it's talking about double honor and do not admit a charge against an elder, I think it's along those lines of upholding and being aware of the reality of the spiritual war that's going on is that Satan just wants to tear apart churches yeah. and pastors' relationships and reputations and that this, the stake, um, the issue is the gospel going forward. And so we want to be very aware of that, of how a church could be torn apart by gossip and slander and things like that. And so I, I think these steps here are upholding the steps of Matthew 18, but helping us be aware of, especially with pastors, that process of don't just let you know charges about some person just fly, um, but we should have quiet, respectful conversations with others and say, you know, or with the pastor first, one-on-one, and then with others or with other elders, secondly. But not just freely let these things fly. Yeah. Yeah, and let's let's not skip the next verse that says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So again, it's not telling us to skip over um, or to ignore sin, but to recognize that they are likely, because of their position, to be targets of spurious accusations and those we ought to guard against. 
and recognize that potential. Uh, our book of church order for, remember this is part of our constitution in the PCA denomination, uh, has a, a special chapter pertaining to process against a minister. So uh, taking uh, action against a minister. Uh, it says, if anyone knows a minister to be guilty of a private offense, he should warn him in private. I think that gets to what Michael was talking about, initially talking to him in private. But if the offense be persisted in or become public, he should bring the case to the attention of some other minister of the presbytery. I think that falls in line with what we just read. Uh, Actually, just before that, it says, as no minister ought on account of his office to be screened in his sin. So I think to the doubly honoring the office, but it's saying, but that doesn't mean we screen him in his sin, allow him to, to be sin, or slightly censured. I think what that's saying is we don't just give him a slap on the wrist because he's the pastor if he's uh, doing something uh, sinful. So, by the same logic, scandalous charges ought not to be received against him on slight grounds. Again, I think that's this principle uh, being put into action within our denomination of not uh, taking scandalous charges seriously, not covering them up, but also recognizing that there's the potential for, uh, for spurious charges against our ministers and that we should respect the office and be on the lookout for that. Let's look at Hebrews. Yeah. 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 That in particular, this way of one anothering, that we're called to one another each other, to treat one another this way throughout the church, we should be particularly cognizant of it with respect to our pastors. Let's look at Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, uh, first off, verse 7 Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Well, that one seems fairly non-controversial. So, if they are modeling exemplary Christian living, as they should, then it's calling us to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then skip over to verse 17. And I want to consider together what this means. In light of what we've talked about up to this point, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do we have a duty to obey our pastors? And our ruling elders, it says your leaders. I think that encompasses both. What is maybe the, the broader question is what is the authority of the pastor over us? If any. By virtue of this position of double honor. He can't command us to sin. That's certainly clear. None of us should submit to any authority that commands us to sin. Does the pastor have authority? If not, what does it mean to obey your leaders and submit to them in this context? Michael? In thinking of teach sound doctrine and their role to correct, um, they're teaching sound doc doctrine, and sometimes doctrine is hard to understand. There's been times when I've had issues or situations in my life that just understanding God rightly is difficult, and then Matt has helpfully see, helped me see something that I need to believe. And in the moment, it was, it's just hard to understand. And this passage has come to mind where, you know, I don't like the truth that's being said, but I know it's true. 
just because it's it's hard to believe or I don't understand it fully because I'm fallen. But um, you know, Matt has taught correct doctrine, and I was to obey and submit because he's just representing Christ. But in my heart, I, I kind of you know might not like the truth, um, and submitting joyfully to that truth because I know it's true just takes just takes faith and he wasn't trying he wasn't teaching something wrong but it was truthful and it's hard to understand um, and so I think that this passage applies there where we're to obey and submit to their teaching you know insofar as it's true to the word um, but sometimes we might not fully understand it but we should you know match it up with scripture and then believe that even when initially we might not like that um, and that's part of just being sheep that go astray quickly mm. and God providing shepherds to pastor us mm. you know, on our journey yeah. to me it's the hardest task of all they're, they're, um, they are to guard our souls mm. and everything that you know, Michael was saying and, you know, by correcting and you know, you know that, that verse from Timothy it's really difficult I mean, yeah. it's one thing to maybe guard our physical thing, but to guard our souls is, is really a, an awesome task. Yeah. Will you say something, John? Um, yeah, I was just going to say, um, last week at the church, after you were done talking, it was um, thought-provoking. I went back and I looked at the Westminster Standards, and in the larger uh, catechism, it says, um, in, it, it basically expounds on how do you honor your father and your mother? And it extends that to your superiors and your inferiors. And that means anybody in any role in life in general that has any role of authority over you, you have to obey them. Um, and so in a generic sense, a ruling elder or a uh, uh, um, teaching elder would be in the same level as a law enforcement officer, school teacher, basically anybody that is in charge of you. So, we absolutely have to obey them. And it's an implication that of course we don't do anything that would be against the scriptures. But um, any elder is on the same level of anybody in the civilian world that has any kind of authoritative role. Um, that's the first point. And the other point would be, at least for me, um, I would want to be very cautious leveling a charge against any elder based off of hearsay or based mm. off of some generic statement that they made in a sermon or a class, which I think happens in real life. Mm -hmm. They hear some phrase that they interpreted wrongly and they didn't really get to the real root of what they were saying. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, wrapped up in this also is being careful to interpret what they're saying as generously as possible, not looking for fault. Yeah, interesting you should mention the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith and the larger catechism. I thought of that one, too. No, thank you. Uh, so the language here is, uh, is, uh, not, is, can be confusing. So the question says, what is the honor that inferiors owe to their superiors. And I agree with John. I don't think this is talking specifically about pastors. I think it's talking about all positions of submission to authority. The answer is, from the larger uh, catechism, the honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections, fidelity to, defense and maintenance of their persons and authority, according to their several ranks and the nature of their places, bearing with their infirmities. Remember, one of our one another's is to bear with one another. Bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love so that they may be an honor to them. I think that's saying so that we may be an honor to them and to their government. And again, I think this is 
it is not exclusively to churches, but if we're to give this sort of honor to secular leaders, how much more should we to our pastors? It seems to me. Uh, and I can send, ask Dottie to send these slides out if you want to look at all those references, or you can Google it like I did. Um, so just going back, let's... Uh, the, in the little booklet, I liked this line that he used. He suggested the authority of pastors is not legislative or coercive. So pastors don't make laws for us. They declare faithfully the laws that God has given us. Not legislative or coercive. They're not like police officers in the sense that they can't arrest us and they don't coerce us to do but simply declarative and executive. The authority of pastors is to declare the word of God accurately and faithfully. And executive, I take that to mean they're the people we pay to run the church day to day for us. So they have authority in that sense to tell us not to make so many copies for Sunday school. Um, the other thing that, this, this, uh, that, that was uh, a good, thoughtful challenge to me was that perhaps we not, it's not uh, fruitful to spend too much time trying to think about what's the exact line of where the pastor's authority goes. Um, the, he used the example of a rainbow, and you can't figure out exactly where one color ends and where the other begins. Um, and suggest that that's true in a lot of our relationships of authority and submission, that if we try and spend too much time, it becomes unfruitful thinking about where's the line, but recognizing that the pastor is given to us for our good, to aid us, that he should be cautious of overextending beyond the bounds, wherever that line is, pastors who are wise will be cautious of not trying to exert more authority than they have because that will cause us to, to respect them less, obey, uh, listen to them less, and the congregation of diminishing them, that we ought not try and put them in too small of a box so that they cannot care for us as they should. That was a, a useful challenge to me as I thought about what does it mean to respect our pastors. Um, hopefully we'll have some time at the end to discuss that more, but let's talk about encouraging them. I, I mentioned at the, uh, last week the sort of overarching line that I really liked uh, in thinking about what are our duties to our pastors who are given to us for our good, who devote their, their lives to ministering to us and to the world, that it says to take care to promote his happiness and usefulness. So I'd like us to think about how we do that. A few verses, uh, just a couple here, because again, encouraging is somewhat obvious. In 1 Thessalonians 5... It says to encourage one another. This is talking about all believers. Encourage one another and build each other up. So here's another one of our one another's. Encourage one another and build each other up. Again, if we should do that for each other as believers, how much more so for our pastors? In Acts, what's happening here at the end of Acts is Paul is alone and he's uh, As usual, he is being persecuted, and all of a sudden, some uh, messengers arrive from a church. And when he sees them, it says, on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Because the church sent these brothers to help care for him and be with him in his time of need, it tells us. Paul, I imagine him jumping up and running towards them. He thanked God and took courage in this time of challenge. We ought to be those who go to our pastors when they need encouragement. How do we, again, thinking of practical ways, how do you think we can encourage our pastors? What do you think is encouraging to them in their ministry? Besides Leo's. Mm. Yeah, yeah. If he puts he puts in hours and days of preparation and work into understanding a text and figuring out how to communicate it to us, if I think it's encouraging for us to share with him 
how God is working in us. Other thoughts? Mm. Just being there to worship God is an immense encouragement to pastors when they look out and see people who are eager to worship God and hear His word. Yeah, that's a great point. I can only imagine how how difficult it must have been in that period when we were live streaming because of COVID and our pastors got up to an empty sanctuary and led us in worship online. But what a challenge that would be. Yeah, to be there. And be engaged. I'm also challenged by it every time I feel a little bit sleepy. Somebody over here had a hand up. So I sent a text to uh, last week to a couple of friends, uh, three friends who are pastors, uh, and I asked them, um, as you think back over your ministry, uh, what are some things that have encouraged you? Uh, I asked their wives too, but their wives declined to answer. Um, but uh, they shared similar things to what you guys have talked about um, they said they were encouraged when people share what Christ is doing in their lives or how they applied a sermon um, or just how when, when we, we share with them the ways that they encourage us. Uh, one example, one specific example that stood out for one of my friends was talking about when the church had had a very difficult, had someone in the congregation die unexpectedly uh, in a somewhat dramatic fashion um, and that, that after going through that, he had some people... Um, who made a point of telling him how much his, uh, his presence with them and the way he walked through that with them had encouraged them and how, how as a result, they felt, um, uh, they felt better when he's around. And he, he found that quite encouraging. Um, uh, the other was uh, uh, when they see us, again, uh, somewhat to, to some of the, the other things people said, when they see us, Imitating their example and one anothering one another, asking about their challenges that they have in their own lives, recognizing that they're people and sinful people too, that they have families, that they have struggles, that they have needs. When we uh, extend hospitality to them and to one another, when we pray for their uh, specific needs and their families' needs. So I would uh, challenge us to continue thinking along these lines of how can we, how should we practically encourage our pastors? Aaron and then. Mm. They carry burdens that they can't share. Yeah. Um, So praying for that, maybe not very specifically, but just keeping an eye on our elders in general. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Suppose you thought you had seen something in the passage that the pastor had not seen. Would it be encouraging or discouraging for you to share that with let me throw that out to the group. So the question was, suppose you thought you had seen something in the passage, that the pastor's preaching through a passage, suppose you thought you had seen something there that the pastor didn't see and didn't, didn't mention in the sermon. Do we think that would be encouraging or discouraging to tell him what he missed? Depends on how it's delivered. Depends on how it's delivered, Chuck said. So perhaps a question... Yeah, it's a good question. I sus my initial thought, I suspect uh, that a pastor would be encouraged that we're listening closely and that we also are engaging with, with the text and that we're seeking to find what's there. Uh, related to that, I think one of the things we should do is be teachable. Again, we could take this to, to an extreme that we ought not. This doesn't say, believe every single word he says is the truth as if it comes from the Bible. It doesn't say, don't, don't listen critically to what they're saying to determine whether we think it's true. But, they are in this office. They have this responsibility. They have some particular training to bring us the word of truth, to teach sound. Doctrine, I think part of our responsibility and part of how we encourage them is, as Philip said, by showing up, but also by listening, by seeking what truth we can take. And sometimes, let me cover Tim's ears, sometimes we won't agree or we won't feel like it applies to us, and that's okay. I think Tim can tell me if I'm wrong. But sometimes it's incumbent on us when our first reaction is, that's not right. That's not for me. That doesn't apply. I think part of being teachable is having a humble spirit, as some people talked about at the beginning, to take a second to go, wait, does it? Is there something that the Lord is trying to tell me, teach me through the pastor that I need to consider? There may not be. But I think that ought to be our first impulse. That's the long quote uh, last week about criticizing the sermon ended with a line about uh, that we should let it be hinted that the fault may be in the hearer rather than the message. That doesn't mean the message is never faulty, but that we should consider, number one, sometimes pastors have a bad day. Sometimes they get sick and they weren't able to do as much prep as they'd like, uh, and we can extend some grace there. But also, number two, that our first impulse ought to be to check ourselves before we immediately jump to criticizing the pastor and telling him he's wrong. Now you're going to tell me why I'm wrong. Go ahead. No, I'm kidding. As I was listening critically, um, <laughs> you said it doesn't mean we shouldn't listen critically, and so I wanted to come back to that. Just get some additional thoughts and clarification. Should that be my heart's disposition? Listening critically? Yeah. Should I be like the movie critic? I'm ready to write a review. Um, or or um, is, that, is that right for a congregant to have that disposition of listening critically? And I'm just interested more in that. Yeah. Let me throw it out to everybody before I give my thoughts. Paul? Yeah, so the, the example where Paul commends the Bereans for checking even what he says against Scripture. Somebody else had a hand over here, and then I can go to Philip. Chase?
say just in the sense of, of criticize, which is which is kind of negative. I think it's fairly evident that we shouldn't be sitting under a sermon with the intent of picking it apart and mentally blasting the pastor or like slip up. But at the same time, it could be a good thing to think critically in the sense of rationally and reasonably and actually evaluating it genuinely because we shouldn't be robots sitting under the sermon, like you said, believing every word. I think it's like there's kind of a fine line between thinking too critically in the sense of criticizing and, and being overly harsh with the pastor, but then also not thinking critically at all and, and uh, you know, just kind of going wherever you're Yeah, going. yeah. Again, there's, there is folly and sin on the extremes. The extreme of, okay, he said it, it must absolutely be true, and now I will go out and do. And on, I'm going to listen to every word to figure out what I can tell him he's wrong about after this. And how I can tear him down. So, wisdom and uh, one-anothering is with the principle, not the extremes. Uh, I'm going to keep moving a little bit, because uh, I'm, as usual, going slower than I meant to be. Uh, I think part of how we encourage them is we strive for unity and we work against disunity within the church. Does that make sense? Am I wrong? I don't have any verses with this one, so you're welcome to come at me, bro. I got a teenage daughter, sorry. John? Imagine the week he has to get up and talk about paying our pastors. Uh, somebody over here, Chuck. Aaron. Okay, thanks. Give me a hand mic, Aaron. Yeah. Um. So I, yeah, I was thinking in terms of the congregation as a whole. Was there another hand over here that I missed? Yeah. Just hang on for it to it for now, please. Um, Gordon? I was just thinking, you know, those of us who are parents, like any time your child seeks to do some, like do what they're called to do, it mm. encourages you as a yeah. parent. So not that he's our, our parent, but he is our shepherd. And mm-hmm. so if we're seeking to obey and follow the Lord, like that's just going to make his job easier. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like we just want his life to be. No, it's a hard job, and so as much as we can seek and after the Lord and all that we do, which one of them is having unity with one another, striving for that. Yeah, and and we can think about the opposite to Paul's example uh, about a and a decision made on behalf of the church by the elders that was difficult for some. 
Imagine how discouraging it is to be the... I mean, think about churches that split at the extreme example. How discouraging it is to be the pastor of a church that's striven by... that's broken apart through controversy and disunity. So what is our part in encouraging them through striving for unity? What I'm going to do for the sake of time, is I'm going to skip over guard their reputation for today, and we will come back to it next week. Uh, But I will summarize quickly. In all of these passages, where it talks about guarding the reputation of the elders, of the leaders, in each case, that first one is a good example. Paul is being unjustly accused. And in Timothy, he's, he's frustrated that he is being accused unjustly. And then look down at this other one in 2 Timothy, the same verse, uh, the other part of the verse. When he's unjustly uh, accused, he's discouraged because he says, No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. This, I think, is the big idea behind guarding their reputation, standing by our pastors in adversity. Not condoning or covering their sins, or I'll leave it at that. Um, So let's come back to that one, and we'll come back to the long quote uh, that I think is a good challenge, but I think because we didn't have enough time to consider it, uh, potentially could have been misunderstood. So we'll come back to that next week. I want to talk about praying for them. Fairly obvious one. 2 Corinthians, uh, I mean, you see it in all the, almost all the epistles where Paul, Paul or uh, Peter or John says, brothers, pray for us. 2 Corinthians, you also must, he's talking about our work and says, you also must help us by prayer. Again, 1 Thessalonians, just one of many that says, brothers, pray for us. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians 3. Paul says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you. So, what's that saying he wants prayer for? That the word of the Lord may speed ahead. He wants prayer for the ministry, for the success of the ministry, that it will go well. As happened among you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. He's asking for protection, prayer for protection. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Uh, This is the quote on the screen is from, uh, I believe, John MacArthur, if I remember right. How perilous the condition of that minister whose heart is not encouraged, whose hands are not strengthened, and who is not upheld by the prayers of his people. Think of, of Moses when Aaron and Hur hold his hands up, physically stand on either side and hold his hands up all day so that the Israelites can be successful. As Moses is acting in his role of ministry to the people, these two men come, come beside and hold his hands up when he can't hold them up in How perilous the condition of the minister who's not upheld by the prayers of his people. Uh, One more. Let's look at Philippians 4.19 real quick. And then I want to close by praying for our pastors. He says in the prayer... Uh, at the end, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We know that God can supply all our needs. We should be, we should be praying that their needs should be supplied. Uh, the booklet says, when churches cease to pray for their ministers, ministers will no longer be a blessing to the churches. What about their wives? I think it's fairly straightforward to remind ourselves that we should pray for our pastors. 
Do we have a duty to pray for our pastor's wives? The father of one of them is nodding, yes. How do you think we pray for our pastor's wives? Nobody's going to say, no, we shouldn't. I got it. So let's agree that we should, if nothing else, because you don't want to embarrass yourself. What do our pastor's wives need prayer for? Three at once. Bob? I would have to think it would be just uh, like uh, you would pray for anybody's relationship with a married couple. Um, you know, that uh, they would be supportive of one another, um, uphold each other. Um, uh, scripture. Um, to, uh, in, in the case of a, a wife, I would think that um, that as because because of the role of pastor and a lot of times they are um, called away uh, from the family a lot. I would have to think that. Yeah. At the same time, be willing to uh, uh, graciously build that up and 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 uh, build that role. Mm. Yeah. Great. Did you have something? So, I think to be a pastor, imagine being a wife where you probably cannot share the burdens with you deeply love them and your soul hurts as you watch your husband hurt you. You want to help carry the burdens and you're not sure how. That's got to be the whole thing. Your spouse is gone often evenings, often nights, often inconvenient times and very difficult things. And you probably have children who are asking you, well, mommy, what about this? And you're the one answering those questions. Mm. Do one more chuck and then we'll close out. I just look, I echo a little bit. I just look at that second bullet up there model, exemplary Christian um, living. Um, and we, we do that on a pedestal. We put pastors on a pedestal as well as their families and their children as well. I think we should put their children. Um, not probably fairly or rightly, but I think it's just a natural that we do when we're like, well, if we're supposed to, you know, if you preached on this and we're supposed to do this, then surely you're doing it mm, Yeah. Uh, and that expectation unrightly exists. And so I think Satan uses that uh, to discourage pastors, uh, to discourage their wives as well and their families. And so I think uh, that's something that we can be actively, we should be actively praying for. Yeah. What I want to do is not end by saying we should pray for our pastors and their wives, but by praying for our pastors and their wives. So I'm going to give some handouts as we go. One of them I was going to go over. It's this uh, another long quote that we don't have time really to consider. But this is from a pastor. It's one of these booklets from a, uh, uh, a pastor from the, the early 1800s. Um, specific things that he asked to pray for. I've printed that out along with the long quote uh, from last week about guarding their reputation and then just my kind of overall bullet points. So I'll hand that out for you to consider as you go this week. Let's come back and talk some more about it next week. But as we close, um, I asked some people specifically to pray for Matt and Kristen and Tim and Laney. So uh, Aaron, if you could give the mic to... Uh, Paul first. So we'll go Paul and then Courtney McManigal and then Tyler and then Christy will close us out. So let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for Matt. We thank you for his salvation, how much you love him. We thank you for his 
teachers, the, the pastors who helped him in his youth. We thank you for how you've gift, given him gifts and equipped him. And we pray that you would strengthen him in his work, give him uh, an, an ever-increasing appetite to study and understand your word, to behold your glory. We pray that by your grace he could continue to walk in his integrity and teach in ways that are clear. Pray that he'd be able to understand us, your wayward flock, that he would know what we need and that he would have the courage to tell us what we don't want to hear. And uh, we um, pray that you would um, deliver him from that loneliness that Aaron Lepley mentioned, give him good friends. But above all, Lord, uh, and an unfailing and rich communion with yourself, that he might know uh, that joy and the realities of heaven, that he might... Um, uh, live with courage and uh, pray uh, stalwartly and uh, be protected from the malice of the evil one and the hostility of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where's Courtney? Okay. Father, we thank you for Kristen and um, the gift that she is uh, not only to Matt as his bride. Um, but also to each one of us. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen her and encourage her, especially as her body continues to be weak with almost three years of long COVID. We pray that you would give her wisdom in how to support and encourage Matt and her children as um, she seeks to support him in his ministry and call. Lord, would you strengthen and preserve their marriage? If Satan is seeking to attack our beloved pastor, um, one of the easiest ways to do that is through the marital relationship, and we pray that you would preserve that, that you would um, give them that time to connect. Um, we pray for Kristen as she prays for Matt um, all day, throughout the day, Lord, um, help her to be encouraged at the ways that you are at work. Give her wisdom as she teaches her children and um, as they get ready to send off their first arrow uh, soon. We pray that you would comfort her heart as she rejoices in that transition, but also um, the sadness that can come when the season changes. Father, we pray that you would... Um, bless her um, even as they are at home um, this weekend with sickness we pray that you would um, draw near uh, to her especially as she cares for her family we pray this in Christ's name Amen Father we lift up to you Tim and we praise you that You've given us this gift in bringing Tim to us and uh, to be our pastor, and we thank you for his work in uh, expounding on First John and helping us to uh, learn from you and to receive grace from Christ uh, through the preaching of your word. We uh, pray for Tim and ask that you would continue to grow him in his faith, that you would strengthen his faith day by day by your word and by prayer. We ask that you'd make him a man of much prayer and and praying for uh, his own soul, for, for Laney, for uh, our people here at this church, for uh, his work. We uh, pray, Lord, that uh, his sermons would be full of prayer and uh, that uh, he would be a man who uh, is often conversing with you and communing with you uh, in prayer. I pray that you would guard him from the evil one and all of the uh, discouragement that he could ha be tempted to have. We pray that you would give him a great strength and resolve to uh, minister uh, in season and out of season. Uh, those days waking up where it might be hard to uh, go and start the workday, we pray that you would 
give him that strength from your spirit that you promise uh, to help him uh, do his work. It's not his own strength, but yours that you give him. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would be with him as uh, he uh, prepares for a marriage soon to Lainey. We are so thankful that you've blessed him with that and pray that you'd continue to bless him and and preparing for that and and the beginning of their marriage we uh, pray that you would grant him the love uh, and care uh, to to love Lainey we pray that you would help him to uh, serve her uh, and uh, give up his own interests for her and pray that you would uh, bless their uh, new uh, and young marriage that will be here soon and so we uh, pray lord that you would be with him and bless him and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Lord, we thank you that Lainey has been able to be here this last week preparing for life after marriage. We pray that you would give her the strength that she needs to get through the next couple of weeks, um, especially without her belongings and without Tim. We pray, Lord, that you would bless their marriage, that they would get off on the right foot, that you would give them a wonderful time away on their honeymoon before they come back. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen Lainey, that she would have broad shoulders, that she would embrace this role of being a pastor's wife. Prepare her, Lord, for what she's about to be. We pray also, Lord, that you would give us, the congregation, strength and warmth and patience and grace, that we would receive her well, that we would see her as a human with needs, just like we are, that we would not put her up on a pedestal, that we would come alongside her and be able to encourage her and strengthen her and pray for her in all these things. We pray these um, in your son's name. Amen.